Hey, I'm Corey. And I'm Lori. And this is the Nourish Circle Podcast. Join the band as we gather in our Nourish Circle and talk all things weight-inclusive, haze, non-diet, and whatever else is nourishing us. Today's episode is brought to you by our Join the Band Teespring store. Click the link in our show notes to check out our badass non-diet dietitian merchandise. On the episode today, we are speaking with the incredible Melissa Toller, who is a writer and speaker. Her work encourages people to make the connection between our culture's oppressive beauty standards and our personal struggle with self-acceptance. Her goal is to help people use expressive writing to unlearn harmful messages and behaviors from years of chronic dieting. Melissa also has a background as a pharmacist and certified wellness coach. We speak a little bit about Melissa's past, how she has uh, started to adapt the health at every size um, mentality and what she uses it for, as well as what she's doing now with regards to her writing. We hope you enjoy. Hello, Melissa. Welcome to our Nourish Circle. Hi. Thank you for having me. Oh, we're so, Corey and I are so excited to have you today. Um, before we get started, we like to let the audience know of any privileges or identities that you're comfortable to share with us and any paradigms that you work from. Hmm. Um, so I definitely have thin privilege. I'm always, uh, I always make sure to acknowledge that, especially uh, in the work that I do. Um, I am, a lot of my work is very haze informed, um, which I'm sure we'll probably get to. Yeah. Our talk today. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. So oh, thanks for asking. Lori and I have both followed you on social media and various platforms. And I truly love the newsletters that you send out or whatever you call them in your email. Um, they always <clears throat> really help me to kind of ground and just I learned so much. So thank you for doing that. And in that, we've learned about your story about how you got to where you are today. And just wondering for our listeners who maybe aren't really familiar with your story, if there's parts of it that you would like to just share, knowing that's probably a long story. So yeah. um, if there's just parts of it that you feel would be relevant to what's going on for you right now. Sure. Um, so just to kind of give folks a little bit of background, I am... A former, I refer to myself as a former health and wellness coach. And right now I consider myself to be, um, I don't want to say just a writer because I think writing is important, but I am a writer. I try to write as much as possible. And my experience um, as a health and wellness coach, my experience prior to being a health and wellness coach informs a lot of my writing. And so um, where should I start? I guess let's just start with um, about eight years ago, I started training for fitness competitions. <clears throat> and uh, part of the reason for doing that was just like a lot of people who are probably listening to our conversation. Um, I had spent the majority of my teen and adult life on a quest to be thinner, lose weight, um, and so one of the reasons for jumping into uh, fitness competitions was that, right? I thought this would be the way that this would be a, a way or maybe even the final way that I would be able to um, lose weight for good, 
Mm. Air quotes. So I did that for about three or four years. And during that time, like at the sort of midway point, I decided that I wanted to also help people. I wanted to either be a personal trainer or do something to help people lose weight because I was getting a lot of questions from people. And I was like, oh, you know what? It would be great if I could do this professionally. And so I, um, and I think, you know, sidebar, I think a lot of people do that, right? If you yeah, talk to folks sure. who are coaches of any kind, health and wellness coaches, trainers, they'll, they'll often have a, a similar trajectory. Mm-hmm. So um, I went to, I took some classes to become a certified health and wellness coach, had my own practice for a couple of years. Um, my focus was helping women um, do non-diet weight management. I didn't call it that, but that's ultimately what it was. At the time, I considered myself to be non-diet, um, but I was still I was still encouraging and selling weight loss. Mm-hmm. Um, over time, you know, my my beliefs started to change, and you know, I, I don't know if I can pinpoint the exact incident or moment where that happened. I just know that there had been an evolution. And I, I think part of it was just um, different people that I started to follow on social media. I started just to become aware of a different way of thinking around bodies and food. And um, back in 2016, I wrote a piece called Why I Stopped Selling Weight Loss. And I I mentioned that because my writing has been a really critical part of my unlearning and relearning. A lot Mm. of the stuff that I share um, publicly, I have written from my own private um, unraveling, so to speak. And so, you know, that piece I had been kind of sitting on for maybe six or nine months before I actually put it out into the world. And so that was sort of my declaration of, a big shift in my personal beliefs, but also professionally for me. And so that, you know, that was three years ago and a lot has even, even more has evolved since then. So, you know, I consider myself to be very haze informed. Um, Now I refer to myself as anti-diet and, and not um, non-diet. And I am a huge advocate for fat acceptance, fat liberation, um, and really the, the liberation of all bodies. And that's where I am today. Very cool. I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of a difference between the anti-diet and the non-diet. For you, the difference, because I know as dietitians, um, I think some people use the words interchangeably. And I'm just wondering what the difference is for you. Yeah, that's a good question. So the difference for me is, you know, when I look back on um, using the term non-diet, I think I called myself a non-diet wellness coach, health and wellness coach. I was still advocating for weight loss. And and, and, in advocating for weight loss, there's an underlying um, message that being a certain size or being fat is unacceptable. It needs to be changed. Mm -hmm. So that's what the non-diet meant to me. Like there's still a way you can do it, 
you just don't have to dye it. Oh, okay. Being, yeah, that's that's how I interpret it. <clears throat> I'm not sure. I'm not sure where I got that from, but that's my interpretation. <laughs> um, because that's what I meant when I was saying it. Actually, yeah. yeah, that's what I meant when I was saying it. I and I remember changing non-diet to anti-diet on my Instagram profile uh, a few years ago. And to me, anti-diet means I'm against the whole concept of using fatness to sell weight loss, essentially. The um, advocating for one body type over another, the body hierarchy. So mm-hmm. to me, that's what anti-diet means. And, and, that, and, and I also wanna be clear, I respect people's choices to do what they want with their bodies. It's just not something that I advocate or help people do. Mm-hmm. Awesome. It's, um, it's been such a trajectory for you from the fitness competitions to um, like getting to this point. It's, um, it can take people 20 years to go through that, which you've done in a much shorter period of time. It's very interesting to me. Mm. Um, now, I did your Redefining Wellness online program um, in February of this year, and I know you're not running it. Um, right now, but I'm just, I'm so curious as to, cause I, it was a great experience for me personally. Mm. Um, and I loved how you did that. You redefined wellness. And I was just wondering if you could speak a little bit to where the idea for redefining wellness came from and, um, how you are trying to kind of present that message. Yeah. You know, that, um, well, thank you for taking the course and I'm glad that you enjoyed it. Oh, um, it was great. So that idea came, was informed by my experience as a health and wellness coach. And um, just looking back on the ways that I was taught, and I think a lot of us are taught in our training programs to reinforce the body hierarchy, to reinforce the idea that there's a certain body type that is more beautiful, it's healthier, it's the thing that we aspire to. Mm-hmm. And so that is not just limited to body size, it's also gender, it's uh, race, it's a lot of other things. And um, it was, it, the idea just kind of came out of wanting to bring to light some of those ways that we m- maybe unknowingly are perpetuating harmful ideas about bodies in our practices and how we're perpetuating harmful ideas of what it means to be well. And oftentimes the definition or the image of health and wellness is portrayed in a very singular fashion. It's all, almost always a thin, young-ish white woman who is like doing yoga. And, yeah. um, and on a beach. On a beach, yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and it's, and you know, my own experience back in 2012, 2013, like that's, the image I had in my mind. And you can see that through the things that I posted and the images that I used on social media and on my own website. And Mm -hmm. so I wanted this to be a way for people to do some um, introspection, some of their own unraveling and own unlearning in a setting that um, I hope to be supportive. Mm -hmm. No, it was. And you had a lot of really great prompts. Yeah. for questions. And um, that really made me sit and think, what does wellness mean? Um, and so 
what does, I guess, what does wellness mean to you right now? Just throwing that one at you. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. Um, it's interesting because I think about this a lot and I've been writing more and more about just the word health and the word wellness. Um, so right now, wellness means to me um, being very connected with friends and family and community, um, having my basic needs met, um, getting plenty of rest, not just sleep, but actual downtime where I'm doing absolutely nothing and trying not to think about the things that I have to do. Um, it's listening to music. It's all of the things that make me feel grounded. Um, and it's not always things that make me feel good, right? Sometimes it's, I think there are things that I'm processing that contribute to my wellness, but are uncomfortable. And to me, that's, that fits into the definition right now. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Mm. So we have been seeing that you and Rebecca Scritchfield are doing some work together and I'm thinking of your workshop, Girl, Wash Your Facebook Feed. But there yes. may be other things that you're working on that we don't know about. So we're just wondering if you can talk to us a little bit about some of that work. Yeah, so that's a workshop that we are planning for the Renfrew Conference. Um, and it was born out of an idea. I mean, so just a little bit of background. Rebecca Scritchfield is a um, haze-informed dietitian here in Washington, D.C., and we became friends a couple of years ago from social media. We finally <laughs> connected in person, and we just talk all the time, and it's great to have someone in your local area to talk through some of these things that um, mm -hmm. can seem confusing and just, yeah, confusing. <clears throat> so we are each other's sounding boards. Anyway, we came up with this idea earlier in the year, um, and playing off of the or wildly popular book, Girl, Wash Your Face. Um, that's, the, that's where the title of this came from. And, mm -hmm. and the, the goal of this workshop is to explore the ways that um, faux empowerment messages on social media primarily can harm people um, in eating, dis eating uh, disorder recovery. And so we've uh, done a variety of things. We've done literature searches. We conducted a survey. And Rebecca's going to do some um, work around ACT. And we're also going to use some writing prompts in our workshop to help um, clinicians just explore their own maybe biases and beliefs um, around some of the messages that their patients and clients are seeing um, on social media that may be harmful to their recovery. Uh, so it's, it's going to be a very interactive um, workshop and it's really designed to just bring to light some of the ways that as uh, clinicians, as helping professionals, we can unknowingly perpetuate harmful ideas to the, to the people that we're caring for. Yeah, and I mean, you see so much of this and I, feel that I still have a lot to learn around it as well, feeling like I'm still really trying to grasp, which inspired me to go back and do my master's and really understand the literature around how to be sensitive to the messages that we're giving because the biases run so deep. They're so 
entrenched and so systemic that it's obviously something we all need to be aware of and do the work. And, and so is there something coming aside from just your workshop that folks will have access to, to learn more about this with you? Yeah, we're hoping to put together um, something, if it's a course or something short that um, people can access to help with this because like you said, it is, um, you know, the, the learning, the lessons, the messages are very entrenched and mm -hmm. a lot of them can feel like truth when in reality they're not, at least they're not everyone's truth. And sometimes these messages get sold as everyone's absolute truth. And so it's just a matter of taking some time to, and that's what we're going to do through prompts and, and uh, group conversation, like taking some time to really um, dig beneath the surface of our own beliefs around bodies and weight and race and um, just messages that we see and that um, our clients and patients may be seeing as well and how we can um, take action in our practices to not perpetuate those harmful messages. Can you give us an example of a message that you may see on someone's social media that may seemingly be empowering yet may have an example of that faux empowerment? Yeah. So one of the um, things I've seen quite a bit, I'm actually way too much is around specifically around binge eating and and I see people who are, I guess, coaches, the way that they talk about how to fix it is very, I guess they call it like using tough love. It's sort of the pick yourself up, just change your mindset, just do these five steps, just, 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 right? Like it's, and then it also, those messages also make the person I can see how as someone who is experiencing binge eating disorder, how you may feel like there's something that you're doing wrong and all you need to do is listen to this person and do these five steps and then you should be over it. Mm -hmm. And somehow if you're not, then you didn't do it correctly. So it's just a, you know, it goes back to a way that we perpetuate harmful systems in our practices, right? Where it's just like diet culture. If you didn't lose the weight, it's because you didn't do the steps. It's the same thing. And so oftentimes these <clears throat> coaches who say that they work with people on binge eating are putting out these allegedly empowering messages, but they are not really empowering. And oftentimes people who are suffering through binge eating disorder are seeing these and thinking, you know, this is the help that I need, but it may actually not be, and it could be actually causing more harm. So that's the thing that I've been seeing a lot lately. And I mentioned that Rebecca and I had done a survey of people who are in or who have been through eating, dis eating disorder recovery. And you see a lot of these examples come through where people um, have listened to these messages or have had them repeated by coaches or other clinicians that they've worked with. And it has made their process worse, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So in thinking of, you know, 
marginalized identities and you know being someone myself personally living with a lot of privilege yet wanting to do allyship work and and sort of helping with sort of that true empowerment of of well-being is there one thing that comes to mind that you would recommend folks to really look into and, and uncovering that and how they can sort of express that in their social media yeah i think one no. thing <laughs> oh <laughs> i know there's many but <laughs> so how can folks express their um like to be sensitive. yeah to be able to express that from an allyship obviously a lot of you know i'm thinking of dietitians in particular who are living with a lot of privilege um because mm. you know, that's sort of the the demographics that we know right now that's being represented and we're hoping it's shifting mm. um is is how collectively can we you know what is one thing that we could do to really not speak for um marginalized identities but to speak from that allyship role yeah, I think um, probably the most important thing before you really do anything is to do your own work, which, mm -hmm. you know, um, varies for different people. But I think it's so important to just get a really solid understanding of social justice issues, of ways that people are marginalized simply because of their bodies. like. Mm -hmm. Just get a really deep understanding and analysis of that. There are lots of great teachers on um, on the internet who can help with that. And the reason I say get a solid understanding is because a lot of times I feel like people are just kind of doing the surface work to show that they're doing something. And um, I mean, and, and there's nothing totally wrong with that. But I think if you really want to make a a lasting change within yourself and have that and have that translate through to your into your practice and and the people that you work with you really have to have and be committed to doing a lot of unlearning and relearning um and that can take a while and i don't think you have to wait until you finish because we're not really ever finished <laughs> but just having a commitment to to the process of unlearning and relearning, I think is really important. I, th I think that's so true. We, um, we go to school for so long. I think sometimes we leave and think, I know all the things. <laughs> um, and yeah. then we get out into the world and we know very little. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, right, about other people's lived experiences and um, marginalization and, and again, Corey's Right, right now our demographics with dietitians is that we are a fairly privileged group and we need to do a lot of unlearning, I think, to get better at this as well. Yeah, and, and just one of the, th uh, along those lines is you don't have to know everything. Like, no. That's the other thing about being um, a health and wellness professional. We feel like, and I know this just because of my own experience, you feel like you need to know everything, have the answer to every question that someone asks you. And, and it's okay if you don't, right? It just, it's just better to be honest with yourself and others that you don't know everything. And 
it lets you off the, like it just gives you some flexibility and ability to be human, a learning person in this world where things are constantly changing. So you yeah. don't have to know everything. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> um, just, you had said this, um, the, the workshop you're doing with Rebecca is taking place at the Renfrew um, conference. conference. Can you just let us know when that is and where it's taking place? Yes, the Renfrew conference is in Philadelphia in November. And I'm blanking. I think the, the dates are November 8th, 9th, and 10th. Okay. Yep, it's the second full weekend in November. Awesome. Thank you. I just thought in case anybody was listening to this going, oh, I need to go because sh we should get this edited note before then. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I just want to ask quickly about your writing as well because I, I know you're identifying um, as a writer um, at the moment. Um, and you do, um, on your website, you offer... Um, I don't know how I can't sorry I can't remember how you word it whether it's clinics or help or with writing um, so can you just let us know what you are doing for writing right now and sure so I I have so for the past five years I've had a somewhat regular just writing practice for my own for my own um, process and healing and all of that Mm -hmm. um, I have also, I think two years ago, I started a writing course called Write to Get Free, mm -hmm. which was born out of the idea of using writing to unlearn a lot of things around bodies, which I had done myself. I d that was part of my process. And um, so I still offer Write to Get Free. It's on my website. It's an ongoing um, course that people can sign up for at any time. Um, it has evolved over the past couple of years. You know, the, the questions and prompts have gotten a little deeper. And um, actually, you know, it's, I should probably use some of those prompts for my own writing because it's been a while since I've done that. Um, I, I still write almost every day and not for very long periods of time. Sometimes I'll write in response to um, something that is happening in the body acceptance movement on social media or an article that I read. Like recently, I'll give you an example, uh, your fat friend on, she's your fat, your fat friend on all social media yep. wrote an article about the, I think it's titled the bizarre and racist history of uh -oh. the BMI. Yeah. And I read it and it was awesome. And I just, it's amazing. <laughs> I just quickly wrote down my reflections from that and just kind of, you know, what I thought about that. And it, it was a way for me to just think about, like, I kind of acknowledged to myself that I used to believe in the BMI. I used to, mm -hmm. I believed that it was a reliable thing that we should care about. Um, but now I know better. And I just kind of wrote my thoughts about that. So it helps me to, as someone who is kind of all over the place, mentally, just things I'm, I'm thinking about a lot of things <laughs> at once, yeah. writing can help me get focused and really solidify my thoughts and ideas around a particular topic. Thank you so much. That's wonderful. Um, I'll put a link to that article. Did you publish your thoughts about I didn't, no. No? Okay. I'll put a link to that article in the show notes, though, just in case anyone's interested in reading it. It, it is a really good article. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, um, 
I, I like that idea. It's almost like a reflective practice. It sounds like you're writing. It is. And you don't, you know, I always tell people you don't have to be a writer to do this. I think sometimes it's just helpful to get the words out of your head and onto a page. And I have personally found that just that process to be very um, enlightening. Sometimes I have discoveries on the page, if that makes sense. Yeah. Where I'm writing something and I'm like, oh, whew, <laughs> I didn't know I thought that. <laughs> you know, like just things come together. And it doesn't always happen like that when I'm not writing, you know, because I just have, you know, my mind is busy with things I'm supposed to be doing later on or whatever. Um, so the writing, and it doesn't have to be long either. I'm t- when I tell you I don't write for more than 20 minutes at a time, I set a timer because I cannot be at the computer longer than that. I can do different blocks, but 20 minutes is all I give myself. So I, when I do write to get free, I encourage people to set a timer and just go for, set it for however long feels good for you at the time. Um, and it may get longer, it may not, and that's all okay. It's your process to do what you want with it. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of a timer. Yeah, it's like a container. It's a, I need to be contained sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, I'll be everywhere. I'll be on Facebook. I mean, I just need to say, you know, this 20 minutes is for me to write this, and then I can do what I want after that. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Actually, when you were saying that, I was like, "Oh, it would give me twenty minutes to focus on one thing instead yeah. of going. I should check this. I should do this. I should get that, and then I'll sit." And write. <laughs> I think it's brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. I think when you're writing about this work too, especially as you're unlearning and relearning, is that there are, like you said, my mind goes into all these different paths of, okay, well, what about that? Or all these questions that come up and who can I ask that question to? And, and so the writing just becomes this almost like, I don't want to call it a to-do list, but it's, it's sort of that discovery list of, okay, I need to do some more learning there or unlearning there. Um, So I think it just is helpful because it, it puts it in a container at the same time within a container. So um, it just made me think of that, and I, I'm just thankful for having someone to say it and voice it mm. because it is, you know, it is never something that's completed, and we never get to that arrived state within this work. Yeah. It's just about that, like you said, the commitment to, okay, I'm committed to doing this work, and every day is is learning and unlearning, mm. relearning, and um, so yeah, that that was helpful for me. Yeah. So we'd like to end all of our um, podcasts with asking you, what is nourishing you now? Hmm. Um, so music is almost always nourishing me. And uh, right now, the kind of music that is nourishing me is uh, music from the 60s and 70s, like 60s. Uh, music from Motown, 70s R&B. Oh, wow. um, I think it's, you know, it's nourishing me because, one, I feel like it's just really good music. Mm-hmm. Um, two, you know, I'm not old enough to remember it firsthand, but I 
I have memories of my parents' memories of that, if that makes sense. Yes. So that feels um, very nourishing. And it's also, it's kind of like um, music history because I'll listen to a song and then I'll Google it and then I'll learn something about the song or who wrote it or what was going on with the artist at the time. So I love history and I love music. So, you know, old music feels like it, it it feels like a history lesson um sometimes and so that's music is nourishing me right now as soon as we we hang up i'm gonna turn on my motown (laughs) (laughs) spotify awesome (laughs) have you learned any very fascinating um history anecdote from your googling for any particular song recently um, not fascinating. So, uh, one thing last night I was listening to a song, um, and it was a song that I like. I can, the artist, uh, the singer, her name is Kim Weston. And for some reason, this name of the song is escaping me. But as I was listening to it, I picked up on a sound that reminded me of a song from Martha and the Vandellas called Heat Wave. Mm-hmm. And I knew like the, the songwriters who wrote that are called Holland Dozier Holland. And I was like, I wonder if Holland Dozier Holland wrote this song too. And then I Googled it and they did. So that's like super obscure, but um, I was just like fascinated that I was able to pick up on. That's impressive. The song that reminded me of another song that they wrote. (laughs) So I know I sound totally weird, but that's. (laughs) No, that's cool to be able to pick up on that. Like I'm just, that's the kind of stuff I'm into right now. Very good. Thank you for sharing. No, thanks for asking. I was wondering, when am I ever going to use this piece of information? There you go. There you (laughs) go. (laughs) So thank you for allowing me to to use that. (laughs) To wait for Jeopardy. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. I love it. So much for, you know, sharing your time with us and your stories and even the fun facts that I didn't know either. So that was that was good. Maybe one day I'll have to use that now. Um, so thank you for sharing your wisdom. And we are just always looking forward to the next writing you put out and share with us. Mm-hmm. So we will keep in contact with you that way. But what are other ways that folks who want to continue following you, where can they find you? Yes. Yeah, so I am at melissatoller.com and I am also on Facebook at Melissa Toller. And then on Twitter, which I don't use that much, I retweet a lot of good stuff. Um, and Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Melissa D. Toller. Mm. Thank you. Well, Thank Melissa, you. it's been such a privilege. Thank you so much for taking some time with us today to join our Nourish Circle. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Nourish Circle. Don't forget to like us on iTunes or Spotify and subscribe so that you never miss an episode.